It's good to see all of you tonight. I just want to start by saying that's the only slide that's going to be on the screen tonight. That's the next one. So if you're waiting for the slides to advance, they've already advanced. That's all they're going to do. Glad to see all of you this evening. We've been reading through Matthew chapters 1 through 5 this past week, and I thought it would be a great time to talk about the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. If you don't already have your Bible open to that passage, please do so. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized, and as he came up out of the water, the Scripture says, the Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove, and there was a voice heard from heaven in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and the voice said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately, the Scripture tells us in Matthew 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Instead of beginning His ministry with the crowds, with people, the Bible tells us that Jesus went away from the crowds. He went into isolation for a period of 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the devil. Why is this passage in Scripture? Why is this passage in your Bible? I can think of at least four reasons. Number one, this passage is in Scripture because it helps us understand the integrity of Jesus. Integrity is what you do if nobody else is watching. Integrity is who you are when nobody else but God sees. And the Bible tells us repeatedly that Jesus was one who was without sin, utterly sinless. And you and I might otherwise wonder, if we didn't have passages like this, what did Jesus do in his private life? What did he do when he was away from the crowds and people couldn't see him? Maybe he sinned in one of those circumstances. And passages like this remind us that God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He was tempted in all manner like we are, yet without sin. So his integrity is upheld by this passage. Secondly, as you study this passage, it reminds us of the sympathy of Jesus. He knows what it's like to live in this difficult, in this sin-sick world. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to endure temptation. He knows how powerful temptation can be because he himself has experienced that. In fact, I would argue that the Bible teaches that Jesus experienced temptation to its highest and most intense possible degree. You and I often give in far sooner than Jesus was tempted, the degree to which he was tempted. We give in far earlier. It doesn't take a lot sometimes to cause us to decide we're going to violate God's will. And yet Jesus experienced as much temptation as anybody who's ever lived, yet he was without sin. It explains how he can sympathize with us. He understands us. A third reason why this passage is in Scripture is because it demonstrates the strategy of Jesus in overcoming temptation. What does God want us to do when we're tempted? What strategies should people use to try to deal with sin? We could learn something from Jesus in this passage. What kinds of strategies do you have, if any, for overcoming the temptations that face you? Or do you just do the same sinful things over and over and over without ever any strategy? I'd like to note, by the way, that Jesus three times was tempted in this passage, and three times, what did he do? He quoted from the Scripture, didn't he? Three times he quoted Scripture, his strategy. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. James chapter 4, verse 7, one of the ways in which we resist the devil is by utilizing Scripture for that very purpose. 
And then fourth, why is this passage in scripture? Because it reminds us of the obedience of Jesus. It reminds us of how he came to do his father's will. He obeyed in everything. John chapter four, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus would say. And this passage reminds us that in everything, even in his private life, even when nobody else would know, nobody else would see what was happening in his life, Jesus said, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do his will and not my own. It's interesting that at the beginning of the the ministry of Jesus here in Matthew chapter four, you've got Jesus saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then at the end of his ministry in Matthew 26, verse 39, he's praying in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus shows us how to live for God. And the way to live for God, brothers and sisters and friends, is by saying, not my will, but yours be done. The obedience of Jesus Look at Matthew chapter four, verse one, that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We see the adversary in this passage and notice the three terms by which the devil is called in this passage. In verse one, he's the devil. In verse three, he is called the tempter, Matthew four, verse three. And then in verse 10, Jesus calls him Satan, adversary. There is someone who exists who is real, And he is after people's souls. He was after the soul of Jesus Christ. He was after him, trying to cause him to betray his heavenly father in this passage. But he's after you and me. And one of the things we learn about the devil as we read scripture, listen very carefully. The devil is most interested, it seems, in people who have tremendous influence. The people that he'd like to have most, the people that he most intensely desires are people who have influence on others. I would argue that the devil wants more than anything to get into the lives of people like elders in the Lord's church. He wants to get into the lives of parents. He wants to get into the lives of grandparents. He wants to get into the lives of people who are influential and are admired and esteemed because if he can get a foothold in your life as an influential person, Think of all the havoc he can wreak. Think of all the terrible things he can accomplish in his own will and his own selfishness. So as you think about this passage, the devil is trying his best to cause Jesus to turn against his heavenly father. I think it bears mentioning as you study this passage that if temptation is not real for Jesus in this passage, then this passage doesn't mean anything. There had to have been at least in some way, shape or form, and I don't know how this works, some possibility that Jesus might have given in. There had to have been some possibility that in some way he might have decided to do what the devil was enticing him to do. Otherwise, what does the temptation mean? And thank God that Jesus, with integrity and with obedience to his father, with a concern and a love for you and me, thank God that every time he was tempted, Jesus turned to the devil, quoted scripture, and refused to do what the devil tried to entice him to do. Let's look this evening together at the three times in this passage that the devil tempts Jesus and what those mean. Again, Matthew chapter three, verse 17, I think we need to remind ourselves what happens in that verse. God says, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased in him. And immediately, as you see the devil tempting him, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, he says, 
And so all of this has to do with his role, his ministry. It has to do with his identity as the son of God. All of this, though, teaches us a great deal, not only about our temptation and how we face it, but it teaches us about Jesus and who he is and what he was really all about. And so with each of these three points, as we look at these three temptations in Matthew 4, each one of them, we're going to start by noting the devil's approach. What was his strategy? And then we're going to notice Jesus' strategy in responding to the devil. What was his response like? So the devil's approach, approach first, and then the response of the Lord. Let's notice each three in turn, each of the three in turn. By the way, I didn't say this. This is far from the only time that Jesus was tempted in his earthly ministry. You think about what was happening when Jesus was on the cross as he was suspended between heaven and earth dying for our sins. The people that were looking at him mocked him and they said, if you are the son of God, come down, save yourself. They were tempting him even then, even at the end. So don't think this is the only time Jesus was ever tempted. But there's a great deal to learn from this experience. All right, with that in mind, number one. Change the stones into bread. If you're looking at Matthew chapter four, the scripture tells us beginning in verse two, Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and afterward he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, verse three, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now you can just imagine where they were out in the wilderness, rocks and dirt and not much else. And Jesus has not eaten, it says, in 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry must be an understatement. And Jesus is tempted by the devil. If you are the son of God, you see, it's on the basis of what God had said about him back there at the Jordan River. You're my beloved son. I'm well pleased in you. If you are, tell these rocks to become bread. Jesus responds, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes or proceeds from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. Let's notice the devil's approach. Number one, after every victory comes temptation. After every victory comes temptation. There are great things that we can accomplish in God's service. There are great things that happen in our lives, in our work together as a body of Christians here at Katy. But it's important for us to remember that after great victories come temptation. There are always temptations. I find it interesting that there is nobody that I know and nobody that you know that lives in this world that is free from temptation ever. Even if you could isolate yourself, even if you could just put yourself in a room that had no windows, just a chair or something, you'd still find temptation because you're alone with yourself in that room. But especially when there are victories, especially when things are going well, there are great temptations that sometimes follow. And so as Jesus is baptized and as he begins his earthly ministry, the devil approaches him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When we face great victories and great times in our lives and ministries, let's watch out because temptation is sure to follow. As you think about the devil's approach, secondly, he knows when we're weak. He knows when you're weak. He knows what's going on in your life. And it's interesting that For this temptation, at least, the devil waits until Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He waits until he is at his peak of hunger, of exhaustion, of need for something to eat. And that's when the devil approaches him. 
He knows when we're weak. He knows when we're tired or when we're hungry or when we're sick. And it's interesting, if you've looked at your own life, when you're tired, hungry, or sick, we sometimes get so focused on our personal needs and our personal discomfort that we become vulnerable to just about anything that would deliver us from our present distress. Just get me out of this. I don't care how. So one of the devil's strategies is to wear us down. One of the devil's strategies is to cause us to to become weak and then to tempt us. But what's the temptation itself as you think about the devil's strategy number three? This temptation is interesting because the devil is tempting Jesus to use his power for selfish purposes. Jesus could change the stones into bread, could he not? If he so desired, he could have commanded and those stones would have become bread. But for what purpose has God given Jesus that power? That's the question on the table. And the devil is saying, you're the son of God. You've got the power. Make the stones into bread, Jesus. You can do it. The temptation is, it's your right After all, you're the son of God. If you really are God in the flesh, if you really are conceived by the Holy Spirit, the womb of Mary and all that, by virtue of your very identity, you ought to be able to do this. Think about who you are. And not only is it your right, but it's understandable. People will understand if you use your power for your own desires, for your own needs. People are gonna understand and appreciate that. Nobody's gonna fault you. And not only is it understandable, it's possible, you can do it. You have the capacity. There are no Walmarts and there are no Kroger's out there in the wilderness. You have to go a long way to find somebody with food. So if it's possible for you to change those stones into bread, go ahead and do it, Jesus. Here's an important point as you look at this first temptation, this first, this first um, episode. It tells us something about how and why Jesus used miracles in his ministry. Have you ever thought of that? How did Jesus use miracles? And why did Jesus use miracles? He didn't go around just doing miracles with no purpose, with no concept, with no thought behind the miracle. He didn't do that. That's not the way Jesus operated. Rather, this passage elevates our understanding of how he uses his power. He did not use his power, listen, to serve himself. He didn't use his power for his own selfish desires. He used his power always to serve his heavenly father. This was so from the very beginning of his ministry. From the very instant that he was baptized, from the time that his earthly ministry began, he always used his power for God's purposes, not his own. So every time Jesus and the apostles got hungry, Jesus didn't just automatically do a miracle so that everybody could eat. But sometimes he fed the 5,000. Every time people got hungry, you remember the episode where the disciples went and they were plucking grain? Why didn't Jesus just do a miracle and feed them? Why did they have to go pluck the grain on the Sabbath day? Because Jesus used his miracles for God's purposes, not for his own desires and not for the desires of his apostles. And this was so even to the very end of his ministry. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 53, I could call upon 12 legions of angels and they could come and they could deliver me, but he refused to do that. Why? Because his power was used for our benefit, not for his own. Everything about Jesus was others focused. Everything about Jesus, everything about his power and the way he used his miraculous power had to do with serving God and accomplishing his will, 
and not serving himself. And so you see the devil tempting the Son of God with food. Have you ever thought about the fact that the first temptation, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, had to do with food? Have you ever thought about the first time we see Jesus being tempted? It's tempted with food. The devil's strategy. What about the Lord's response? Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 again. Jesus had been out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and Jesus, when he was tempted, quoted a verse. He quoted specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It was a great verse to quote. Man shall not live by bread alone. Bread is good. Bread is necessary. Bread is essential. A lot of people really like bread. But it's not just bread that causes and gives us life. It is every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he means by that in the context is doing God's will is more important to me even than my daily food. That's what he means. Being obedient is more important than any bodily need, any bodily desire, anything that I want or I need. Doing God's will and serving God and pleasing God, that's what's most important. That's the Lord's first response. I'd like you to notice, secondly, as you think about the Lord's response, I mentioned earlier, every time Jesus was tempted, he quoted a scripture. Three times he's tempted, three times he's quoted a scripture. I knew a man one time in the church many years ago who used to say, every scripture you have committed to memory is like a bullet. And every time you're tempted, you can just fire those bullets back at the devil. It's a wonderful use of scripture to be able to say, I'm not going to do what this temptation is offering me. I'm not gonna involve myself in what this temptation is trying to, trying to entice me to do. Here's what the scripture says. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We ought to commit Scripture to memory if for no other reason than that. The psalmist says in Psalm 119 verse 11, Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need more of Scripture in our lives, more of Scripture in our heart. At the bottom line though, brothers and sisters and friends, when you look at this temptation, you think about the Lord's response, listen very carefully. If something is wrong it's wrong. And there is no amount of suffering and there is no amount of need and there's no amount of desire that can make something that is wrong right. That's what the Lord is teaching us in this first episode. Change the stones into bread, Jesus. You can do it. You can cause it to happen. It's wrong for me to do this. And there are some things in our lives that we need to think about. They're wrong no matter how badly we desire them, no matter how hungry we get. They're still wrong. Secondly, look at Matthew chapter four, verses five through seven. The second temptation. The scripture says in verse five, the devil took him to the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Scholars have kind of wondered where this pinnacle would have been. Uh, Josephus, a first century Jewish writer, not a Christian, but wrote a lot of interesting, helpful things. Josephus says that Herod the Great's addition to the temple was such that there was a place where you could stand and there was a 450 foot drop from the top of this part of the, of, of the porch in the temple all the way down to the bottom of the valley below. Really high location. Maybe that's where the devil takes the Lord. 
And then when he gets to this very high location and he sees the long drop down to the bottom, nobody's going to survive that. Nobody's going to survive a fall like this. The devil begins, watch this, to quote scripture to Jesus. You want to think about the devil's approach in this second, in this second uh, temptation? The devil knows the Bible. In fact, he knows the Bible really well. He knows the Bible better than most of us do. Look at Matthew chapter four and verse five or verse six. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, there it is again, God said you're his beloved son. So if you are, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He's quoting from Psalm 91. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus, you are the son of God, throw yourself off the temple. Throw yourself down because God has promised, he promised this to you that he was not going to allow you to suffer harm. He's going to protect you. He's going to save you. He's going to bless you. And so go ahead, throw yourself off. Jesus says in verse seven, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Quoted scripture again. Let's notice the devil's approach. Number one, the devil made the temptation immediate. The devil is all about not just imagining things, but he's about putting things in front of us. He's about making things immediate. They're possible. The temptation is right there. It's right in front. All you got to do is step off, Jesus. All you got to do is take a, a, short, a short step and it's a long drop and the Lord's going to save you. He promised he would. Notice secondly in the devil's approach, as we mentioned, he used scripture. When the devil tempted Jesus, he used the Bible. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, when God went to Eve, you remember what he said? First thing the devil says in the Bible, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Genesis chapter three, verse one. Is that what God actually said? He knows what God has said. And what the devil is all about is twisting God's word, manipulating God's word, changing it just a little bit. Listen carefully. In every false doctrine, there is always a little kernel of truth. Always. In every false teaching that exists, there's always just a little bit about it that's true. If you look at it from a certain point of view, a, a certain way, it's true. And it is true in, in Psalm 91. God had promised Jesus that he was going to protect him, that he was not going to let him dash his foot against a stone. And so, Jesus, try it out. He used scripture. And then third, as you look at the devil's approach, he appeals to our insecurities, our desires to know, to experience God's love and concern. He appeals to that. That's what he's doing with Jesus. Sometimes in superhero movies, I know you guys have seen superhero movies. There's a million of them out there. When the new superhero gets his powers, whatever those powers are, there's always a sequence of the movie where the superhero gets to try out his powers. He decides if he can fly, he, he tries to fly, or if, if he can walk through walls or whatever it is. And, and he goes around testing to see how does this power work? How does it work if I can fly and how far and how long and how easily is, is this done? And there's always this sequence where the superhero tries it out. Jesus has just begun his earthly ministry. He grew up as a carpenter in Nazareth. 
As far as we are aware, that is all he's ever done. He was obedient to his parents. He was a man at home. And now that he's been baptized in Matthew chapter three, now his earthly ministry is beginning. And now the spirit has come upon him. And that's what happened when he was baptized. And now he has miraculous power. Why not put it to the test? Why not see if God's gonna save you, Jesus? He promised to do so. And that's exactly what's happening here. One of the things that happens to us sometimes as Christians, when we are afraid, when we are doubting, when we're a little bit fearful, one of the things that happens to us is sometimes we wanna know, we wanna see, God, are you really there? Are you really there for me? Do you you care about me? And sometimes we, without really thinking about what we're doing, sometimes we artificially manufacture a situation or a scenario. And we kind of say to God, God, you, you need to come through for me here. I know you've promised to do this. We're manufacturing this scenario and help me. That's what Jesus is being tempted to do. Look at the Lord's response. How does Jesus respond? He quotes scripture again, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, which incidentally is a recounting of what the Israelites did in the wilderness. The Israelites came out of Egypt and over and over and over they complained. On one occasion, they complained because there was no water. You remember? They had seen the Red Sea parted. They had manna every day. They had quail. They had all kinds of provisions and God was protecting them. They could see the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. They could see God's presence among them, but they still asked this question. They said, is the Lord among us or not? Where is he? Why doesn't he save us? Why doesn't he help us? And so Jesus quotes from that. It is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't do what those Israelites did at Massah. Don't treat God that way. Faith in God, brothers and sisters and friends, is based on believing and trusting his promises. God will care for you when you need him. God will provide for you when you need provision. God will protect you when you need protection. But we do not create scenarios so that we can test that out and see, God, are you really there? That is not what Christians do. And so the third temptation. Look at Matthew chapter four, verses eight through 11. The scripture says, having been defeated twice, the devil takes Jesus to a very high mountain, it doesn't tell us where, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these kingdoms I will give you, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The devil's approach. I am convinced in reading the Bible, one of the devil's favorite ways to attack us is to attack us on the basis of the first commandment in the 10 commandments. I realize we're under the new law. I realize we're not under the Ten Commandments. But you remember what the first commandment was? You shall have no other gods before me. And one of the devil's favorite ways to tempt people is to put other gods in front of us and to say to us, why not worship this one? Think of what this one can do for you. Why not worship that one? Think of what that one can offer you. 
Think of the good that could come. And you don't have to give up on God. You just worship this one, worship that one a little bit. As you look at the devil's approach, this is a first temptation type of, type of temptation, first commandment type of temptation. But then notice as well, the devil, devil's approach is that he tempts us to seek the right end, glory for Jesus, by the wrong means. Getting something that's good, getting something that's right, getting something that God has promised. And God had promised all the nations. I will give you the nations for your inheritance, God said in Psalm 2. He prophesied and promised that to his son, the anointed one. Everybody understood that's what Jesus was going to inherit. He's going to inherit the nations. And so the devil is saying, that's yours. Let me do something for you, Jesus. The way that Jesus was going to obtain his authority and the way that he was going to receive this, this, this promise was only by doing the will of God, serving God all the way up to his death. And when he died on the cross, that was the point at which he had paid the price for our sins. The nations now become his. And Jesus can say in Matthew 28, verse 18, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And the devil's saying, you don't have to go to the cross. I'll give all that to you without the suffering. You can have the glory without the suffering. You can have the good without the pain, without the difficulty. There's a pattern in scripture, brothers and sisters and friends. The pattern is suffering always comes first and then glory later. Always. That is, in a nutshell, a picture of the Christian life. Christianity is not about glory first and then glory later. Christianity is about suffering first and glory later. Jesus is our forerunner in showing us what that's like. Do the will of God, serve God, make God's word your daily food, make God's will your will. Do that consistently, obey, resist temptation, resist the devil, serve him, suffer and glory comes later. And the devil's saying to Jesus, you don't have to do it that way. There's an easier way. You know, it's fascinating to me that there are a lot of good things that are accomplished by a lot of religious people, and yet a lot of the good things we sometimes set out to do, we try to find the easiest, least difficult path to accomplish those things. Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. That's the Lord's response. This is not just about me. This is not just about my glory. This is about the God that is worthy of all worship. How important was worship to Jesus? How important was serving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? It was so important that Jesus went willingly to a cross And he did it so that he didn't have to sell us out. Because if Jesus had bowed down to the devil on this occasion, if Jesus had done this, and I really believe with all my heart, there was a temptation for him to do this. Because he knew full well before we did what the cross was going to be. And Jesus looked and he thought about the cost of the implications of what the devil was offering. And Jesus said, no, I love these people more. I love the people of this world more than even what the devil's offering. And I'm so thankful that our Savior, when he was tempted, reminded all of us, worship the Lord your God, serve him, 
and only him. You know, the Bible reminds us that we are to resist the devil. And you know, sometimes we get so accustomed to the challenges and the temptations that face us that it just becomes normal. It just becomes routine. And we don't think enough about the seriousness of what's happening in the moment. And we don't think enough about what it looks like to please our Heavenly Father. My challenge to you as you think about the temptations that Jesus experienced is just this. Every time the devil tempted Jesus, it was all about a shortcut. It was all about a compromise. It was all about a quick fix. It was always about doing something that at least you could make an argument. It looks good. But in every case, Jesus saw right through it. And he knew this is not God's will for us, not God's will for me. May we meditate on these things and may we be strengthened by our Savior's example because every one of us, every day of our lives is gonna face temptation until we leave this world. How are you dealing with the temptations that come your way? Thank you very much for listening this evening. The Bible tells us that after these temptations were concluded that the angels came and ministered to Jesus. It also tells us in Luke 4.13 that the devil left him until a more opportune time. And that's how it is with us. God provides for us in ways that sometimes we don't even know. And the devil leaves us sometimes, but only until a better opportunity presents itself. He's a hard worker, that devil. Don't give in to his ways and don't be seduced by his, his ideas. If we can help you to obey the gospel tonight, come to Jesus, believe in him, repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we can help you to do that, won't you come all together we stand and while we sing.